Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Health Care on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman. This is our show about getting great care from our health care system, how to make that system into a system that gives us great care. We're going to focus on the system today, about our health care system in general. There's uniform agreement that our health care system could be better. Some people think a lot better. In many ways, it's good, no question about it, but it's costly. There's things that can be better. The costs keep going up. Many people think our system needs a major overhaul. One of those people who thinks it needs a major ho- uh, overhaul is, uh, is today's guest. And I'm very excited to have him on. He's one of the leading healthcare authorities in the United States. His name, Victor Fuchs. Uh, Professor Fuchs is the Henry J. Kaiser Professor Emeritus at Stanford University in his Department of Economics and Health Research and Policy. He specializes in applying economic analyses to problems of national concern, particularly with regard to health and medical care. His best-known book is called Who Shall Live? Health, Economics, and Social Choice, originally written in 1974 and then expanded in 1998. Another of his uh, books is The Future of Health Policy, written in 1993. Professor Fuchs has won many awards, very highly thought of in his field. He was elected president of the American Economic Association in 1995. He received the John R. Cummings Award, the Emily Mumford Medal for Distinguished Contributions to Social Science and Medicine. His list of awards go on. Uh, Fascinating. um, He received from the American Society of Health Economists the Career Award for Lifetime Contributions to the Field of Health Economics. And perhaps most interesting of all, the Rand Corporation's Prize for the Best Paper Published in the Forum for Health Economics and Policy uh, are named and awarded in honor of Professor Fuchs. Professor Fuchs, it's my great pleasure to have you on today. Briefly, as background for our audience, can you give us an idea of how bad our health care cost problem is? Some people seem to think it's the end of the world. I think it is very bad. If I tell you the number, it sounds small, uh, namely that health care spending grows 2.7% per annum faster than the rest of the economy. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, 2.7% this year, 2.7% next year. But it turns out that as this moves on, uh, and that's the average for the last 30 years, if we were to do this for another 30 years, Healthcare would be consuming about 30% of the total economy. All the gains that we get from productivity and more efficiency and so forth throughout the economy would just go to providing more healthcare. At a certain point, it would 
that's for everything. That's for defense. That's for education. That's for Social Security and so forth. It's really bad if you look down the road. Trouble is that not many people and not the Congress, they don't look down the road. But let me, let me say that, in my opinion, it is very, very bad. We've got to bring the growth of health care costs closer to that of the rest of the economy. I have an, uh, had an uncle, and I, I mentioned to his, this to him 20 years ago when I guess it wasn't quite so bad, but the, the growth, you could see it coming. And uh, he said, um, well, you know, if we didn't need to spend money on war and defense, it would be great to spend all that money on health care. Maybe it, it, it's good that we spend 20, 30 percent of the economy on health care as long as we have money for other things. But I get the sense that, that the health care money is a drain, makes it more difficult for businesses to function. Um, well, it's, is the main re- it's the main reason why the average American hasn't seen any growth in their real uh, wages for the last 30 years because all of the potential growth in real wages has been used to pay for higher health insurance premiums. So what is it about the way we've designed our system that that makes the costs so high, that makes I'll, I'll it grow fast? You, I'll take you through the reasons fairly systematically, and you can think about them as I do this because uh, people ask, well, what can we do to make the system less costly? Well, if you accept my uh, analysis of why it costs so much more than other countries, then that's already the starting point uh, to ask what, you know, and to answer what can we do about uh, making it less costly. Now, uh, bear in mind that the average uh, expenditures in the United States this year will be over $8,000 per person. Wow. And that's, a, that's about double the average of other high-income countries. It's 50% higher than the next highest country, which is usually Switzerland. Uh, and it's double the average of other high-income countries. So that's a big, big difference. Let me take you through them fairly uh, uh, quickly. I'd say, number one, is the higher administrative costs. We have a very, very complicated system for gathering in the money to pay for health care and then a complicated system for paying out uh, the money. Uh, we have employer-sponsored insurance. Uh, we have income-tested insurance like uh, uh, Medicaid. Uh, we have other systems, and all of them are uh, administratively very uh, costly. Most other countries have a simple system. They, they just collect the money in one basic way, uh, either a tax or a, an employment contribution or something of that kind. So that's, that's number one. Number two is that we have a much higher ratio of specialists to primary care physicians. Now, empirically, it's true uh, that the more specialists you have, uh, the higher the rate of expenditures. Uh, specialists are, are expensive to train. They expect to get paid more. They use more uh, elaborate tests and uh, uh, other procedures. And uh, there's no question that if we had a, a better balance between specialists and primary care, we wouldn't spend as much as we do. 
third reason related to the higher ratio is that we have more standby capacity. Uh, standby capacity means uh, technology, machinery, and specialized personnel that isn't being used uh, to their fullest capacity all the time. And let me just cite uh, a comparison with Canada. Uh, if you compare the United States with Canada uh, with respect to uh, MRIs, uh, magnetic resonance imaging. Oh, thank uh, you for spelling that out. Yeah, we, we perform 2.8 times as many scans per capita as uh, Canada does. Okay, so that you can see that we're, we're spending more money there, right? That's and, right. And uh, many people believe uh, that a lot of those scans uh, have very low uh, value in terms of adding to people's health. But anyway, here's the key thing, that we have 4.2 times as many uh, MRI machines as Canada does. So the, the 4.2 times as many uh, scanners do 2.8 times as many scans. That means that we are not getting as much uh, efficient utilization of our uh, MRI machines as Canada is. And that's what I mean by the standby capacity. Uh, another reason is that our insurance, whether it's public like Medicare or whether it's private like employment-sponsored, it tends to be open-ended funding. What do I mean by open-ended funding? I mean that the benefits package is described in terms of services. You get so much, you get uh, uh, physician care, you get hospital care, you get drugs or this or that. And the other thing, many of the other countries have fixed budgets for uh, medical care. At the beginning of the year, they vote that this is the amount of money that we're going to spend on health care. And when you have fixed budgets, that concentrates the, the people who are running the system uh, to use it uh, as efficiently as possible. If it's open-ended, then you just do another scan, you do another test, and so forth. I'll go on. Uh, we have many more malpractice claims than other countries. Uh, so that means that the malpractice insurance itself eats up a certain percentage of the uh, expenditures. And in addition, many physicians say that, uh, at least in part, uh, their uh, decisions about what to order are influenced uh, by uh, so-called defensive medicine, uh, that they want to uh, cover themselves in case there is a malpractice claim. Another reason is that we have less social support for the poor than most other countries. Now, why does that matter? It matters because poor people very often are not in a position to take care of themselves or have anybody can take care of them when they discharge from a hospital, for example. Uh, they go out into the community. Uh, they don't uh, get the care that they need in the community, uh, and they're back in the hospital again. Now, that's a, this return trips to the hospital is a big item in our health care uh, bill. Uh, last two things have to do with prices. Drug prices are quite a bit higher in uh, the United States than in any other country. Uh, that's very uh, 
acknowledged by everyone. Uh, we are, in a sense, subsidizing uh, the research programs of, uh, uh, of the major drug companies. And then the other countries are, are benefiting from uh, the results of that research, uh, but they're not paying for it in the higher prices. And finally, uh, physicians' incomes uh, are higher in the United States than they are in other countries. And that also contributes uh, to the differential in cost. So if you ask, what can we do to make the system less costly, uh, you've got to really ask, well, what can we do to change some of these things that I've already mentioned? And in my opinion, uh, nothing short of uh, some comprehensive change in the way we finance care and the way we organize and deliver it is going to make much of a difference. I am not uh, very uh, optimistic about what you're going to get from so-called incremental care. And uh, that's sad to say. I, uh, I, I wish that we could uh, do better. And I understand that the public is not ready to support uh, comprehensive change. Uh, but what I would do, uh, I think you're familiar with the uh, voucher proposal that Emmanuel and I uh, put forward. Uh, are you, uh, Steve? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I well, let me just tell our listeners, Vic, you're, some of the things that you and he have written, and, 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 and in particular the things you've written, have been compiled on the Internet and are freely available to folks. Uh -huh. um, I think it was a, a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation um, piece that was put together that, that um, has a lot of this material. Uh, I tell you, before we go to the voucher part, let me yes. just stick with the, the problem for one second. You know, when I – Try to explain um, health care and health care reform and the cost to my uh, 12-year-old. I, I, I compare it to a grocery store. You know, the grocery store, we don't have these problems. You can go in and you can buy an array of all sorts of things, and they're all inexpensive. And when I look at this list of things you have, you know, yeah. it would be like the high administrative cost would be like if somebody else, if there was an insurance plan that paid for the, the, the food and, and – so you had all the administrative costs of, of how the money was being collected to pay for the food and all that. And the, and the grocery would have to fill out all kinds of forms to get paid for the food. There you go. And the checkout people uh, and the people who put the food on the shelves and who service you, being like doctors, would have these incredibly high salaries. And the, the cost of the actual food would be maybe like the drug prices would be really high. It's, it's not just one thing. It would be every aspect of it yeah. would be different. But, now. There must be some underlying difference between our healthcare system and the grocery store yes, that yeah, creates I, I, all these I'll problems. point out one immediately because remember that I'm trained as an economist and I understand the virtues of a purely market approach. But one tremendous difference is that uh, the people who go into the grocery store and they buy milk and they buy food and they buy cheese or meat or whatever – they know what they're buying. They know what they're buying. When people go because they have a pain in their stomach or because they can't see as well as they would like to, they have no idea what they're buying. The doctor says, I think you need this test. I think you need this operation. The average person, and even more than the average person, has no idea whether that's true or not. And that is a big, big difference between health care in fact, I'll go further. 
I'll say that, as, as you know, because you've been trained in medicine, very often the physician himself or herself doesn't know exactly what to do about a problem. Well, uh, that's certainly I, true. So basically what we're saying is the grocery store works, and it's very efficient in many ways because it's a market system. And while some people might well, say, well, let's Of well-known goods. Yeah, of well-known goods. Excellent. And so it's a, we can't apply that as a solution to medical care because right. people it, – it's not a well-enough good. So would, somebody else has to make the decisions for people. They would buy Laetrile, and, uh, and there would be – you know, if it weren't against the law, there would be physicians who would supply it to them. Uh, they would buy, uh, well, uh, just think of uh, laminectomies, you know, for bad backs, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, at Johns Hopkins, they did a study. I was at a meeting where the chair of the department said that they concluded that about 14% of the patients who come with bad backs would benefit from uh, uh, spine surgery. 14%. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if, when they walk into the average uh, orthopedist or uh, so on, a lot more of them are going to get uh, a, a laminectomy than that. So, basically, if we can't apply a market solution, we're going to have to come up with another system where somebody else decides for people, and they do their best to make it a good system, an efficient system, and one that does what patients would want if they knew right. uh, enough. Well, let me, let me cut to the chase and say that we, we make a sharp distinction between the way healthcare is funded and the way it's organized and delivered. Now, to my way of thinking, the most efficient way to fund it is to have the government raise the money to, provide, to, to pay for basic care for everyone through something like a value-added tax, which is like a sales tax. And, and that would give everyone that have universal coverage but that doesn't mean that the government would be involved in organizing and delivering the care. The, the organization and delivery of care should be the responsibility of what uh, uh, Steve Shortell and Larry Casolino call uh, accountable care organizations. These are, are health plans that take full responsibility, both financial and medical, for delivering a defined set of benefits to the people who enroll in their plan. And they get paid out of the money that's been raised by the value-added tax. So in some sense, you're bringing back the market on the delivery side by having several plans in every region so a person can choose which plan they want to be in. There's competition between the plans on trying to be the best in giving service and in quality of care. The individual can change every year. They can enroll in a different plan if they don't like the service or the care they're getting with, the, with this plan. So I would, I would keep the organization and delivery of care in the private sector with choice and with competition and have the raising of the money uh, done much more efficiently at much lower cost uh, through some kind of centralized uh, uh, program uh, like a, a value-added tax. That's, uh, the, that's the key to it, to see 
to see the difference between the one and the other. You don't have to go all the way with government, and you don't have to rely entirely on a, a kind of uh, uh, private market, free enterprise system. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Fellman. We're speaking today with the eminent health economist, Professor Victor Fuchs. Um, so, Victor, I like this. So you've solved the, 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 the high administrative costs and, and a lot of the funding side by making a simple funding mechanism that's fair in the sense that there's going to be enough money to cover everybody. And then you maintain what I think is absolutely essential, competitiveness uh, in the system by having people choose different plans that are accountable and that provide a level of service and, and that hopefully will attract patients. Let's talk about the, the what, what I find in my practice of dermatology is what seems to be the central element and how this central issue would be solved by this system. So I'm taking care of patients and, and some of many of them have psoriasis. That's my area of specialty. It's uh-huh. a, an immune disease where people get red scaly spots on their skin. And for people who just have a few spots on their elbows, I can give them just a, a, a topical medication, something to rub on the spot, a cortisone medicine or a vitamin D medicine. Now, I have a choice. I could give them a, a cortisone ointment that will work pretty well for most people. It's available at Walmart or Target pharmacies for $4 a tube. That's right, just $4. But it's kind of greasy and messy. Uh, other companies have come out with branded products that aren't available generic yet that are much less messy. They might cost, say, $200 instead of wow. $4. And wow. then the real innovative company has come out with a, an ointment that contains the cortisone plus the vitamin D all in one tube. So it's really easy to use. costs $800 a tube. Now, I, I, yeah. Now, I, offer, I like to give my patients a choice, tell them what their options are, and let them choose. So I, I presented these options to a patient who had really good insurance and, and that paid for their medicines. Do you know what they chose? The more expensive one. Well, actually, they chose the two more expensive ones. They said, well, give me the $800 one and the $200 one. I'll try them out and see which one I like oh, better. My. Now, let, let me, what let, will let happen me. in your yeah. world? Yeah, all right, let me, let me relate that to the brief outline that I gave you to our plan, right? Yeah. The, the, the value-added tax covers the cost of a basic health care plan for everybody. It's universal. Then anyone who wants to buy more than what's in the basic plan can do that with their own after-tax dollars. In other words, for that portion which is above the basic plan, we actually have an open free market where people use their own money and decide whether it's worth it to them to get the additional thing. So in the case that you described, I imagine that the basic plan, I'm not a dermatologist, obviously, the basic plan would cover uh, the low-cost treatment. That sounds good to me. (laughs) And people who wanted more, they should be free to do that, but they got to use their own money, and there isn't any tax subsidy. Uh, for them to do it. They you just say- have to go out there and buy it and lay the money on the lawn. And that's okay. I'll tell you one advantage of that is that sometimes innovations come along uh, that don't look very cost-effective to start with. Let's say it's a particular kind of procedure. But over time, with experience and with uh, it, it develops into a more cost-effective way to do things. 
So it starts out in what you might call the purely private sector part of the uh, health economy. But over time, if it proves itself, it could be incorporated into uh, the basic uh, uh, coverage. You don't want to kill innovation entirely, you see, but neither do you want uh, the, uh, every new technology uh, to drive your cost into bankruptcy. And that's what's been happening uh, in recent years. You need to find some kind of middle ground. I, I like the idea of having a component of the system where people pay for things themselves after tax because if they were, I don't think the, the $800 medicine would cost $800. I think suddenly the drug company would have to say, we're not going to be able to get anybody to pay that. The only reason anybody's paying that now is because a third party's doing it. That's right. That's right. So they might drop it to 300 or 200 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or somebody might come along and find a way to do it, uh, depending on how good their patent protections are and so forth, uh, for, uh, for $100. Now, I, I would just wonder, shouldn't we go all the way and just give people a health savings account instead of a voucher and no. make, make them pay for everything? Because then we'll have this benefit of people competing and, and, and themselves driving the cost down uh, individually. Uh, several things wrong with that. Uh, the most, first of all, you've got to understand that every one of those plans has a so-called ceiling. Now, if you're going to include the great mass of American people, the ceiling has to be pretty low, a couple of thousand dollars a year or something like that. If the ceiling is pretty low, you'll find out that most of the health expenditures in any given year are above the ceiling. Well, if they're above the ceiling, you don't have the price effect that you're counting on to hold down utilization. Is there a difference between, I mean, giving the people a voucher versus giving them enough to so that that ceil they meet that a reasonable yes. high ceiling yeah the difference is that now the responsibility for uh, devising the most effective way to treat things is the responsibility of the health plan you see they're being reimbursed on a risk adjusted capitation basis they just get so much per person enrolled in their plan adjusted for differences in health status. So they have every incentive in the world to try to figure out what is the most efficient way to treat that. Now, I would much rather have physicians figuring out what is the best way to treat something than to have patients trying to figure out what's the best way to treat my thing, because they don't know. There's another, there's another uh, consideration, and that is that for those who have high incomes, these plans essentially are uh, another form of tax shelter. For example, one of my colleagues in the economics department the other day was saying to me, look, he said, if I had one of these plans and I had some medical expense, I wouldn't pay for it out of the plan. I would pay for it with my own money mm -hmm. and keep this in the plan rolling over, getting tax-free income until I'm 65. Yes, the, the a, thing a good really, economist thinking there. Yeah, the thing that's really driving this for, for high end. The Wall Street Journal had a very interesting uh, article on it a couple of years ago. They said uh, high deductible plans are great if you're young, you're rich, and you're healthy. And, and 
and I don't see what we, we have enough tax shelters already. We have too many tax shelters. Uh, to just put in another tax shelter seems to me like a bad idea. Look, I'm going to have to uh, uh, bring this to an end. Yes, you want, well, you want, I appreciate you want your a time. Final, you want a final question? Yes. Give, give our listeners two or two or if you have a few specific suggestions for how they can improve their health or their yeah. health care or, or our health care system. Right. Okay. First, as far as their health is concerned, it's pretty simple. You don't smoke. You eat a balanced diet. You get enough exercise and you get enough uh, sleep and you don't abuse alcohol or any other systems. And finally, you choose your parents very carefully. Choose your parents very carefully. Excellent suggestion. <laughs> now, as far as health care system, I think in most parts of the country, it's not possible everywhere, try to be part of some kind of organized uh, care system where you're going to get coordinated care where there's multi-specialty uh, care and primary care available, and they talk to one another, and uh, uh, that's your best bet. I, I'm not recommending any particular uh, system, uh, but look for a health care system as opposed to simply just going out and buying your uh, uh, care uh, willy-nilly. A la carte. Yeah, a la carte, right. That's it. That's what, that's what I'd say. And, Steve, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Professor Fuchs, likewise. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Professor Fuchs identifies many of the problems with our health care system. He points out the high administrative cost, our reliance on specialists, the high standby capacity that contributes to the cost of the, the health care system that we have, capacity that largely sits unused, the open-ended funding, there's no fixed budget. He includes malpractice, lack of social support for the poor, our high drug prices and our high doctor salaries as cause for our, the problems with our health care system. We did not design this system specifically in order to do these many different things that could be done better. There's an underlying problem with our system, and that is that patients aren't paying for their medical care directly. If they were, those high administrative costs would go down. If primary care really is that much more efficient, perhaps people paying for care themselves would rely on a family physician. If they were paying for care themselves, it wouldn't be the doctor's decision to order tests that are almost useless. Patients themselves, not, not being willing to pay for something that's a waste of their money, probably wouldn't take those tests that um, doctors may currently order that provide only the most marginal of benefit. If patients were paying for the care themselves, the drug prices wouldn't be so high. Who's going to pay those prices for the drugs? Even doctors' salaries probably would come down if patients were paying for medical care directly. I find that when you look at the problem, it really goes back to that fundamental element. Who's paying for the care? Who is, who is keeping an eye that the, the care we're spending for is cost-effective? In my practice, I can offer patients a $4 medicine that may work pretty well for them, or an $800 medicine that may work a little bit better. Am I, the doctor, 
supposed to ration the care and tell them, I'm only going to prescribe the $4 medicine for you, the $800 medicine is too costly? No, I'm not going to do that. That's not my role as a physician. Uh, Is the patient going to say, well, $800, that's a lot for the insurance company to pay. I'll just take the $4 medicine. Well, maybe some patients would do that, but many think they've paid their insurance, ought to get their money's worth out of it. $800 medicine may work a little bit better. I'll go for that one. Uh, How about the insurance company? Are they supposed to, to say to the patient, you don't get the better medicine. We're only going to pay for the $4 one. Somebody, somebody somewhere along the way has to take responsibility. Uh, Dr. Fuchs didn't like my idea of injecting a little more patient-centric uh, cost control. Or maybe he did. In his system, in his recommendations, we need a comprehensive basic plan. Perhaps that basic plan won't inc- include coverage for the $800 medicine. Uh, he leaves it to the open market, people paying with after-tax dollars for care beyond what the basic plan would cover. Is this fair? Well, I don't know if life is fair. Certainly everybody would get the basic coverage, but then maybe better care is only available to the wealthy. I'm not sure that's such a much better system, uh, at least in an ethical standpoint, and we're one that we should be striving for. But there's certainly elements of Dr. Fuchs's plan that um, are very appealing. The idea of funding the plan in such a way that it removes the high administrative costs, certainly a, a bonus. The idea of keeping some form of competition in the plans that people would choose to sign up for. And giving people a reasonable number of choices to, to pick from. Maybe some people would pick a plan that had a little bit broader coverage than another, depending on how much they were willing to spend. So much of this, though, comes down to what kind of world do we Americans want to live in? Do we want a world where people with more money have more access to care and others have just basic care? Uh, Or do we feel like everybody should have access to all possible medical care? Another fundamental issue I think we need to, to come to grips with is Dr. Fuchs's primary concern about patient-directed spending. And that is that he thought patients don't know enough about health care to make wise decisions. Well, that's a slippery slope. He, he, he points out that even doctors often don't have all the information needed. And, and I'm sure to some extent that's true. On the other hand, When I go to the grocery store, there's a lot of things about the food that I don't know, um, but I know what I like, and I make an educated choice. I think there may be opportunities within our system for people to take greater role, greater responsibility in choosing what kind of medical care they're going to have and getting the education they need. The paternalism bothers me. It doesn't bother me completely. If we decide as a society that we want a system where somebody else is choosing for us what drugs we'll have access to because we don't feel like we know enough ourselves to be responsible for our own care. Well, so be it. It may be potentially, at least for some people, better than the system we currently have. Well, if you want to be more educated about these issues, I want to strongly encourage you to visit 
Dr. Fuchs's um, educational website about healthcare information. Uh, his site is called freshthinking.org. That's fresh-thinking.org. I'm going to spell it out, www.fresh-thinking.org. This site has all the papers, commentaries, and discussion for much of Dr. Fuchs's extensive, extensive work on the healthcare system. Um, one of the things you'll find on that website is a letter um, from the um, Stanford Center for Health Policy written to President Obama, uh, outlining their um, suggestions for the key things that, that healthcare reform is going to require. Of course, deficit neutrality, the whole goal is to bring down the costs uh, one of their points is uh, an excise tax on high-cost insurance plans to help um, raise money and bring down costs. A Medicare commission. Oh, boy. Now, here you have the, one of the key elements. You have to have cost control. And if government's paying for the medical care, some government regulator is going to be in charge of what medicines are covered. And I'm not too terribly worried about this. I, I'm not paranoid about this. I think they're going to do a pretty good job. But would they do as well a job as I would choosing for myself? Well, that's for our, our society to, to say. I think Professor Fuchs would lean towards saying that the general public isn't aware enough about health care to make those decisions. He feels like a Medicare um, commission should be in charge of pricing and, and decisions about what will be covered. And then he lists other delivery system reforms. Uh, this letter is signed by some of the giants in the field. Uh, you'll find this at www.fresh-thinking.org, um, and, and you can look for their economist letter to the president. I think a key element that they don't stress that I think is critically important is giving patients some incentive to conserve and to make economically wise decisions. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you found this show informative. I think you'll find Professor Fuchs's resource, www.fresh-thinking.org, to be another useful resource. I thank Michael Zioli for our theme music today, and I hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.